now that the high interest rates have been piled on top of the inflation, consumers have started to cut down or cut out consumption of certain products that may be dispensable or particularly overpriced. That may have been exactly what happened with pork, which is now we're seeing the prices fall on an annual basis. As a whole, prices of pork products in September's CPIs, consumer prices, showed a decline of 1.7% year over year. For bacon, that decline was even larger. They fell by 2.7%, and breakfast sausage was down even more steeply than that at 3%. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hello, and welcome to IBKR Podcasts. I'm Stephen Levine, Senior Market Analyst at Interactive Brokers. I'm your host for today's program. Sean McCovern, Vice President of Research at McAlinden Research Partners, joins us again for our ongoing series on agricultural commodities. And if you're not already familiar, McAlinden Research Partners is an independent investment strategy group that focuses on identifying alpha-generating investment themes. And they have a lot of commentary on our Traders Inside platform, so you'll want to check that out. Great to see you, Sean. Welcome back. Good to be back. Good to see you both. Great to see you. IBKR Senior Trading Education Specialist Jeff Praisman is also here with us again. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I just love this series. And I'm kind of thinking about bacon right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to bacon. Jeff's been using our Trader Workstation platform and tools along with his own research. He's provided us with some really terrific insights into the performance of futures prices, as well as related company stocks and other instruments. And yeah, we have covered quite a bit, haven't we? I mean, this series has been really tremendous. I mean, what a broad scope from coffee, wheat and corn to cocoa live cattle and sugar, really well-rounded list of agricultural commodity futures that I think has shed a lot of great light on current state of food prices, inflation also, and the challenges that producers, consumers, and investors have been facing. Sean, Jeff, thank you so much for providing those insights. You can check out our past podcasts for some really great information there, and we'll be continuing along that road today. We're discussing lean hogs and lean hog futures and how these might be affecting certain giants in the industry like China's WH Group, which owns Smithfield Foods, along with Brazil's JBS and Hormel, which has its headquarters in Austin, Minnesota. Tiny bit of background about lean hogs. These commodities essentially represent the global pork industry, which seems fairly obvious. And here we're including items such as ham, pork loins, pork chops, so on. Not as obvious is their use in pharmaceuticals like insulin, cortisone, and heart valve replacements, among many others, as well as industrial applications like certain cosmetics, plastics, floor waxes, insecticides, really long list there as well, which I found rather interesting. And unlike sugar futures, which we discussed in our previous podcast, which have been traded on commodities exchanges since 1914, lean hog futures started out in 1966, and they were introduced as live hog futures. And I believe it was changed to lean hogs a few decades later in the 90s. So, Sean, I suppose we can start there. Why was this the case? I mean, I guess first, why were they introduced as a trading product in the first place? And what's the reason for trading these commodities? 
Sure. So like any futures contract, you know, farmers, pork producers, anyone who's in the market for pigs, I'm going to use these and try to hedge against price fluctuations down the line. You know, someone wants to sell a hog at a certain price somewhere down the line. Someone wants to buy it at that price, assuming it's a good value based on expectations about supply and demand trends. And now, obviously, traders can use futures contracts to speculate on the price of pork products as well, which is really what the contract is representing, right? It's the pork prices. That's the primary reason anyone is buying pigs en masse. I mean, maybe some people want them as pets or whatever, but we're really talking about, you know, <laughs> buying the pigs for slaughter. It was like Green Acres. And they had a, <laughs> I remember that with Zsa Gabor and her little pig. I, I seem to recall that. Not when it first came out, but in syndication, right. just to, you know, clarify that. So you've got the lean hogs, but there's also a second pork-specific contract on the CME that influences the lean hog index significantly. That's called the pork cutout, which was just introduced in 2020. This has its own index separate from the lean hog index and references the value of the pigs using the prices paid for the wholesale cuts of pork. That's been helpful as the packers seek to more accurately hedge the prices of their individual cuts. Yeah, that is really, really interesting. I looked at those pork cutouts as well. They don't seem entirely liquid, but there are certain cuts, obviously, that seem to do better than others. Yeah, the pork cutouts are very new. Yeah. They're not as popular as the lean hogs, but believe it or not, the index of the pork cutout actually does have a pretty big influence on the lean hog contracts these days. So in 1966, they came in as live hogs. Are they no longer trading as live hogs, like live cattle? Or are they the, the unfortunate aftermath of what they were when they were live? Or how's that? So, work? yeah, yeah, yeah. The changing of the contract from the live hog to the lean hog uh, represented a couple of adjustments in the settlement mechanism. So, originally, the live hogs were physically delivered, which means exactly what it sounds like. The contract yeah. said you were buying 30,000 pounds of live hog, and that's what you were getting on the settlement date. That kind of physical delivery is still the case with the live cattle we talked about several months ago. But in 1997, with the advent of lean hogs replacing live hogs at the CME, the contract unit was changed to 40,000 pounds of hog in carcass weight, so not the live weight. And the contracts also began being financially settled, which means there's no actual delivery of the hogs, uh, just payments between the parties engaged in the contract once the settlement date is reached. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting commodity. Where are they trading, Jeff? If I'm an investor, what am I looking at in terms of performance on the futures contract? Yeah, Steve. So it's interesting. There. If you take the last 52 weeks, it's kind of trading about smack in the middle of its low. It's touched around 55 back in June, and it's high of around low 90s. That was essentially a year ago back in uh, late October, early November. So it's kind of smack in the middle right now. Huh. And it seems to have, after that bottom out, just kind of steadily risen up over, I'd say, the course of the end of the summer and sort of kind of stayed pretty stagnant. It's a little bit on the decline right now, but still, again, safely in the middle of a 52-week low and high. It's nowhere near what live cattle is doing, which I understand is still really, really on elevated levels. But how do you account for this, Sean? What do you see as affecting prices? Is, you know, are there economic drivers or other catalysts? So with many of the current patterns in commodity markets, we have to trace the hogs price back to 2020, specifically back to COVID when all of these plant shutdowns in North America created huge backlogs at the processing plants. This led to culling in anticipation of the long, these like really long lived shutdowns. A lot of these producers really got ahead of themselves and did a little too much hunkering down. When you look at the USDA data that shows that the hog slaughter rates did drop by double digits on an annual basis in March, April and May. 
But then they actually exceeded the 2019 rate, so the pre-pandemic rate, in five of the following seven months. So you had a potentially unwarranted pig culling, which narrowed the supply, followed by a massive commodity comeback in the immediate wake of the initial lockdowns. And hogs came along for the ride. You know, that sent hog futures up to like a six-year high, around 120, around uh, wow. June 2021, actually kind of forming a double top there between then and March 2022. And since then, it's just been downhill. The timing of that downtrend reflects higher interest rates, slamming the brakes on the demand side of the equation for hogs. And obviously, high prices were good for producers when rates were near zero, you know, liquidity was flowing. Inflation was bad, but it wasn't hindering consumers all that much. At the time, it seemed like it was. But we look back now and you're like, man, you know, things really weren't that bad. But now that the high interest rates have been piled on top of the inflation, consumers have started to cut down or cut out consumption of certain products that may be dispensable or particularly overpriced. And that may have been exactly what happened with pork, which is now we're seeing the prices fall on an annual basis. As a whole, prices of pork products in September's CPIs, consumer prices, showed a decline of 1.7% year over year. For bacon, that decline was even larger. They fell by 2.7%, and breakfast sausage was down even more steeply than that wow. at 3%, you know, down 3%. Now's the time uh, the to stock was, up, Jeff. Now's the time to stock yeah, up on your right. bacon. You wanted that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this decline, it was just across the board with the pork products, despite the CPI still going up. So you have pork products, consumer prices of those going down broader inflation kind of rising, and that behavior is going to feed through to the revenues of producers and the value of futures contracts. So demand sounds like it's really on the way south, and so prices are following that demand south. It has been, yeah. So who's going to be affected by this? Or who are the top global producers country-wise? You know, if we look geographically, I, I'm thinking it's got to be China's got to be in there. Yeah, I sort of hinted at it earlier, talking mm -hmm. about the North American plants. The U.S. is the largest hog producer on a national level. Okay. More than one-tenth of the world's pork is produced here, which is a big reason that the country is the largest single exporter. The European Union is a huge exporter, but that's a group of like 27 countries, so I don't really put them on the same scale as the U.S. Yeah. You look at a state like Iowa, the number of hogs in Iowa actually outnumbers people. Really? Um, yes, yeah, so you got to watch out when you're out there. You know, don't mess with the pigs. They'll, uh, you know, uh, the U.S. hog inventory actually, though, it's been shrinking since 2019. But that contraction has not been able to revive the prices. We're exporting primarily to Mexico, Japan, and like you said, China. All three of those countries are some of the largest pork consumers in the world. China, by far, the leading consumer, a huge producer as well, but the leading consumer out of the major economies on a per capita basis. Okay. The average person in mainland China consumes 37.2 kilograms per year of pork. In Hong Kong, it's actually significantly higher. The average person consuming 64.2 kilograms annually. I got those stats from pig333.com, great website. <laughs> Website for all of your pig statistics. So obviously we know China has a lot of issues with economic growth recently, and I think that is playing a significant role in weaker pricing for pigs lately. Wow. If it's demand that is largely driving prices south, what is the turnaround for that demand? I mean, what is going to make people want to eat pork again? So I'll be watching China. So much of the weakness we've seen in commodities as a whole has been related to the economic issues over there, since they're just such a massive importer, so many things. And as I've said, we have seen the hog supply tighten in the US 
However, despite slower GDP growth over there, China, their output of pork is absolutely booming. In Q1, was up 1.9%. Q2, up 4.6% year over year. So that's two straight quarters of really strong growth in the pork production. And when China is producing a larger amount of its own supply, it's less reliant on U.S. exports, which then can create a glut of pigs in the U.S. market, push down on the futures prices. China previously removed tariffs on pork in 2020 when they were struggling with an outbreak of African swine flu among their hogs, which happens relatively often in China. But they put those tariffs back on last year, showing they anticipate less need for imports going forward. So ultimately, it seems that prices for pork have been coming down gradually in the U.S., And we'll need to see when consumers will feel comfortable putting bacon, sausage, other pork-based breakfast components back on their plates. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Essentially, I'm seeing that you're looking at China and supply as your forward-looking outlook for this market primarily. Yeah, I mean, you know, demand will start to come back when we sort of see the end of this monetary tightening, right? That's really what the demand side is, or at least what the traders are probably looking at most closely. Higher rates will usually correlate with lower demand for a lot of commodities, and that's going to flow through even to the agricultural commodities. So yeah, it's really going to be a supply side story, and demand will come back. It's just that's really a matter of time, and we're kind of just trying to see what is the supply going to look like as demand gradually comes back into the market when rates start to maybe kind of hit that terminal level or even start to come down into 2024, 2025. I mean, it certainly had an effect on some companies, but we'll get into that. And Jeff will give us some insights into some of the producers and manufacturers that are heavy in the pork industry. But I did a little bit of digging. And when I found about National Cereal Day, which again falls on March 7th. So please remember that, Sean, March 7th. Lest we Got forget. it. It's on my calendar. <laughs> I also found that there is a National Pulled Pork Day. If you happen to want to celebrate National Pulled Pork Day, it'll be on October 12th. We just missed it at the time of this recording by a few days. But it's interesting. I understand from a site called National Today that it's a, a pretty recent celebration. There's a story behind it. Sonny's Barbecue. For those of you who aren't familiar with Sonny's, Sonny's has a chain of restaurants across the U.S. It started in Gainesville, Florida in 1968, just a couple of years after live hogs became a commodity. What do you know? And Sonny's set a Guinness World Record back in 2016 for the largest serving of pulled pork weighing in at 2,012 pounds. That seems like a lot of pork. I don't know. So Sonny's got together with some other barbecue players in the industry, and they deemed October 12th as National Pulled Pork Day. So Uh, There you have it. Now, I also told this story because it's a sort of a filler, okay, for the absence of pork in my diet. I don't eat pork, but that might not be so good, I understand. Also from National Today, pork has more B vitamins, iron and zinc than chicken, which I do eat. So maybe I should be eating pork. Maybe all these people who are not eating pork are missing out on like some really critical vitamins in their diet, it seems. But did you know that pork is the most consumed meat at the global level. Did you all know that? Well, I knew that just from, I clearly I've done a little bit of research <laughs> on pork, but I also, I mean, it kind of just makes sense because you think of China with, well, a billion plus people, and this is like the number one thing that they have in their diet as far as meat yeah. goes. So it's really not that surprising when you think about it in those terms. Well, spare ribs, I mean, I have to say, the spare yeah. ribs are pretty darn amazing at this one Chinese restaurant. 
in New York that I go to, probably the only pork that I'll eat is going to be in Chinese food, like pork fried rice or bratwurst. I like bratwurst. You can consider that pork, no? Oh, it's definitely pork. Yeah. Okay, good. So there you go. I'm a very diehard bratwurst fan, but I can't find the bratwurst that I like in my grocery store. I did look at the prices. They're about $7.50 now for a package of four bratwurst which I think is a lot more expensive than I used to buy them for. Do you guys eat pork? Are you a pork fan, Jeff? Or I am. I am. You know, bacon is a staple in my household. Definitely either Saturday morning breakfasts or Sunday morning breakfasts as well as sausage. Pulled pork is absolutely delicious. Yeah. Uh, we'll do a pork roast. As uh, Homer Simpson once said, it's that strange magical animal that all these uh, <laughs> great foods come from. It's very true, though, actually. I mean, I have to probably recant my I don't eat pork in my diet it's not a staple but yeah there's a lot of products that I really like that come from bacon is it's just so hard to make you know it's like you gotta take all those paper towels and sop up the grease and everything and then it takes longer to make than it takes to eat it it's like gone in two bites basically if if I could ask a question have, yeah. you, have either of you ever heard of scrapple I'm from Philadelphia so I know oh, scrapple okay. well yes and wait, 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 Stephen. Do you know Scrapple? I'm out of this one. I, my, oh, my, 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 my first, my first <laughs> hearing was Scrabble, which I didn't no, quite no, understand. Scrapple with two P's. So okay. Jeff, just yes or no? You eat Scrapple? I have in the past. I have to be honest with you. I'm more of a sausage and bacon guy ah. at this point. Definitely, in my younger years, I ate Scrapple. But for anyone out there listening. And for Steve, hang on, hang on. I got delicious. this. Let, let me. Yeah, it is delicious. <laughs> Stop there, though, because I want to. I just want to. Because this is our this is our Philadelphia roots showing through, right? <laughs> My family's all from Philly. I didn't know you're from Philly, Jeff. But let me just tell you, it's one of these things. I always ask. I love talking about it because people outside of like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, they t- probably have no idea what it is, and uh, you probably won't find it out there. So it's the best tasting food that is made from the absolute like worst ingredients that you do not want to hear about. And if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm getting anything wrong here, but it's like a Pennsylvania Dutch breakfast food. It's like essentially like a, a block of all the parts of the slaughtered pigs that can't be used for anything else. I mean, like the head, the heart, liver, eyeballs, whatever oh, is trimmed God. or just like, you know, like falls <laughs> off, gets it's on the floor, it gets swept up. They throw it into a bone broth, cook it up in there and mix it with some kind of wheat flour to hold it all together when it's done and so it basically looks like a <laughs> breakfast meatloaf kind of thing and it, i swear it might sound crazy to some people but i promise you or anyone listening if you're in the philly area you haven't had it order it at a diner you'll be shocked in a good way <laughs> yeah I, I was i would agree it, it is the stuff if you take the lowest grade hot dog it's the stuff that didn't make the cut for that hot dog like but it, it, it is delicious and is definitely I, I think i think you're right i think it's strictly a philadelphia thing and I don't even think you can get it anywhere else. Um, that and- I've seen it in North Jersey a few times. South Jersey, definitely. Maryland, I think so. But yeah, outside of that region, you're, you're not finding it. And and people, <laughs> I'm watching Stephen. He's taking his glasses off. <laughs> He's just like a little blown away. So we're, we're kind of getting into it here. Whoa. But I recommend it. And I guarantee you, anyone listening from out that area who uh, knows this, they're probably like, yeah, I mean, listen, it, it's just good. <laughs> Everything gets used, right? It sounds like every. Everything gets used. What not? Waste not. Yes. I don't know. It's a conformed pork product of all the all the things that you would not eat uh, by, the, themselves. by themselves. By themselves. <laughs> Unless I guess you were like Indiana Jones in, in that Temple of Doom movie, right? You just sit there eating out of a monkey head. But this is, you've had this? 
all my life growing up, absolutely. Really? Wow. Oh, it, yeah. Would, yeah. You, would you call it spam? Is it spam? No, not at all. Not even close. Not close. You have to look it up. You you have okay. to see. It's it's like a loaf. It's, you know, I ate it all growing up, too. My mom is probably, like, the biggest Scrapple fan in the world. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite, it brings me back to my, uh, my childhood. <laughs> very, very interesting. I mean, I guess I would go for honeycombs if I were going to do that. But I understand. <laughs> I understand. So, okay, we talked a bit about some of the bigger players in the pork industry. We talked about China's WH Group. They own Smithfield Foods, Brazil's JBS, Hormel, U.S. company. I think with pork prices going where they're going, I can't imagine these companies are doing all that well in terms of their stock. Jeff, what are you seeing in, in these companies? Yeah, so actually all three of the companies that you mentioned are trading closer to their 52-week lows, yeah. if not quite on there. JBSAY is around the $7 range, touched down around 625 at one point, and peak at 1075. So they've all had a steady decline over the last 12 months or so. And, you know, another thing with two of them being ADRs, yeah. they're, they're certainly, for anyone listening, they're, they're American depository receipts, and they're basically shares of non-U.S. companies listed on the U.S. and priced in U.S. dollars. There is also a currency risk. And just in the simplest terms, just to kind of explain it for listeners that aren't familiar it, Let's just say $1 is worth 1 euro and the foreign stock is 10 euros. So it costs you $10 to buy that. Now, let's just say the dollar is now worth 0 0.50 euros. Now that same $10 share that you bought, and let's just say all things remain the same. Now, if you tried to sell it, you would get five US dollars for it. Okay. And conversely, if one US dollar is worth two euros and that foreign stock remains at $10, it, you sell it, you would get 20 US dollars, essentially. And obviously, the stock isn't staying the same price. I mean, the, so there's a relationship between the exchange rate, not only for the ADRs, but also, like anything else, these are global companies. And when they're buying and selling, if they're not hedging their currency risk, they're going to be exposed either in a positive or negative way. And I think that's important to say that a weaker US dollar is generally going to be a positive for an ADR. If you're yeah. invested in it, a stronger is going to be a, sort of a negative if there's no hedging involved. So. I think the dollar is really strong against the China yuan recently. I think it's hit some highs pretty recently, the, the dollar against the yuan. So basically, if again, if the U.S. dollar is strengthening against the yuan, how does that affect the ADR? It, it's a negative impact? Well, so it, it depends. If you want to buy it and the dollar is stronger, it's going to cost you more U.S. dollars to, okay. to make that purchase. Conversely, if you already own it and you're going to sell it, then you're going to get more U.S. dollars back, I guess. But it, it, you know, there will be an effect depending on what position you have or don't have. Right, right. It's a sort of uh, global equity derivative in a sense. Right, correct. It, it's going to fluctuate in part with the underlying currency, which is what they are valued in on their local markets. We're just denominating it in dollars here. And so you have to peg that currency exchange when you're considering them. And so WH Group is obviously a Chinese company listed on the U.S. exchange, and so is JBS, and its underlying currency would be obviously Brazilian real. Since we're talking about JBS, it's very interesting that, uh, you know, Jeff mentioned it's trading closer to its 52-week low. But if you look at the pork segment, you'd kind of be surprised that it's not doing a whole lot worse. In the first quarter, uh, I believe JBS saw their pork revenue fall by 81%. And then in the second quarter, fell again by 21 percent. 
right? So these are like wholesale pork, right? Yeah, wholesale pork yeah. revenues down in second quarter, like 15.8%. And then, as I said, wholesale pork prices down by 21% year over year in the second quarter. So it's kind of interesting that we've seen these prices go down. But JBS, if you look at it on a year-to-date basis, is not that far off from where it was trading at the start of the year. So whereas if you look at Tyson, right, which does make a certain amount of revenue from pork, but they're also very involved with chicken and beef. And that's also a big thing for JBS is beef. I think that for JBS, maybe that beef is really, because we've talked about the live cattle, which since we've talked about it has just continued to climb, maybe benefiting from that, from higher beef prices. And maybe there's kind of less taking beef off of the plate and more taking pork off of the plate. Like American consumers and other consumers around the world are saying, hey, we like beef, right? We like beef. We don't want to get rid of it where they're like, well, you know, pork products, maybe we can do without that. And it comes down to a consumer taste kind of thing. All these companies, though, I mean, all these companies that are involved in these agricultural commodity inputs really at depressed levels. I mean, Tyson that you just mentioned, I'm looking at it now. Uh, it's had a much worse year. Than yeah, yeah, it's also near its 52-week low, somewhere around 47. 52-week was at 46.16. So this is unfortunate for those who are trading, I suppose, these companies that are involved. I don't know what the turnaround really is. It's lower interest rates, you're thinking? or The answer for that is is partially going to be yes. I mean, if you look at the producer prices that these companies are having to pay, particularly in the U.S., we have the producer price index here. Some of these producer prices for processed foods and feeds, which is like there's a subcategory, pork products, fresh, frozen, processed, except sausage. <laughs> for some reason, they take sausage out of that. Yeah. Those producer prices were falling, but now have ticked back up in September into positive territory. And remember, we talked earlier, the consumer prices for pork products yeah. are going down, but now the producer prices for these products are starting to rise again. So as far as high interest rates, yeah, that's going to impact them, especially now that they're dealing with sort of like uh, falling sticker prices, but rising producer prices. Wow. Yeah, they're getting crushed then. That's the case, it sounds like. If the producer prices are going in the opposite direction as the consumer prices, that's yeah, that's killing them on both sides of the equation, it sounds like. Wow. Unfortunate. Thanks, guys, so much for taking the time to do this. Any, any Anything else you'd like to add? No, I think just Sean and I are going to get together for breakfast and have some Scrabble. <laughs> yeah, right, right, You're right. Leave me, you can leave me out of it. You know, I don't know what leftovers of Scrapple would be like, but uh, it sounds like it would be a, a sort They're of... They're already leftovers. Yeah, it's a second derivative <laughs> of, a, of a leftover. All right. This is great. For our listeners, you can read more commentary and market analysis at IBKR Traders Insight at our IBKR campus at ibkrcampus.com. You can keep abreast there about topics we've discussed here today, as well as a wide range of other news critical to your investment decisions. McElinden Research Partners has a host of articles on several themes from central banks and gold buying to issues involving cybersecurity. Please contact Rob Davis for more details. He's at rob at McElindenResearch.com. We'll put that in the show notes for you. And for a full list of financial education offerings, visit the IBKR campus where, as always, All of our educational material is provided to the public at no cost. And until next time, I'm Stephen Levine with Interactive Brokers. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, 
financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBQR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at IBKR.com. There is a substantial risk of loss in foreign exchange trading. The settlement date of foreign exchange trades can vary due to time zone differences and bank holidays. The interest rate on borrowed funds must be considered when computing the cost of trades across multiple markets. Yes.